And welcome to Ultimate, the podcast diving deep into Earth 1610, the ultimate universe. I am your co-host, Eddie, and I am here. Oh, I am your host, Eddie, and I'm here with my co-host, Henry. The Ultimate Marvel Lion is a piece of Marvel comic book history with a bad reputation. Ultimate is here to see if that rep is justified. We're taking on 15 years of comic book history, um, and our brave hosts are going to delve into what makes this alternate universe unique from the good to the bad to the oh dear God, why? <laughs> Uh, so before we kick into it, we're looking at um, Ultimate Fantastic Four, issues one to six this week. Um, so again, continuing our kind of trend of um, the opening the opening kind of sagas of the Ultimate Universe. But before we get into that, how's everything been going for you, bro? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Um, I just want to say, your little slip up at the beginning may have accidentally created our <laughs> ship name, Hedy. <laughs> um, but no, um, yeah, yeah, good, good, just, just chilling. Yeah, so what are you, oh. Just before we, I guess, like, just we, I thought we did last week, just do like a bit of a general kind of overview of like just media, like recommendations, that sort of thing. Watched anything, read anything good this week? Yeah, yeah. So I've been reading, so I'll just go mainly just comics at the moment, but yep. um, I've been reading, uh, what have I been reading? Oh, Powers, like, you know, Powers. Who's, who's right there? Who writes that? Oh, well, it's topical for this. Um, Brian Michael Bennis. Oh, it's like a detective it starts off as a kind of a detective. Yeah, story. Yeah, it does. It's it's pretty it's pretty good. So I I've read the first volume. I picked it up super cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, picked up one, three, and four, and then I picked up two separately cheap. Yeah. like at one point, and so I'm I've read uh, volume two, and man, it's like really good. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the best things. Other stuff probably I carried on reading, carrying on reading, um, getting through Starman, which is excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Big one for me was I went and saw the last voyage of the Demeter um, on Wednesday. Oh yeah, and that was fantastic because it's essentially like it's this bit of kind of like I guess the Dracula story that I think everyone can. I was really surprised that hasn't been adapted because I think it's part of in, in Dracula. There's a section of the novel where where it's Dracula being transported from Transylvania through to England. And essentially it's, you know, based on, and it's kind of broken down as like, you know, the captain of the ship, his log and obviously every, as these kind of things start happening and, you know, crew members start disappearing and that sort of side of things. And it culminates with the ship running aground off the coast of England. And it's just one of those ones where, again, like it's, I guess because it's not like a, it doesn't fit the kind of traditional Dracula narrative where he's a bit sexy. Yeah. Like it doesn't quite fit that kind of model. And I think what it got, what we got was a really kind of good kind of monstrous kind of Dracula story that could just be quite, just could be horror. And there wasn't anything, there was no romantic subtext. There's no like, you know, reincarnation of Dracula's lover sort of side of things. It's, it's just like this monster on a boat slowly picking off these crew members. And again, it's, it was really good. And I did mention it, it's probably one of the other films that, I, one of the films recently that's come up where, We've got an American actor who can do like a pretty solid British accent. Yeah, like a, very rare. And I think and the only the only slip ups were it's one of those ones. The only slip ups I found was the bits where it kind of shifted from maybe a bit more of a standard British accent to something that sounded a bit more like from the Midlands. So I think no. that was that was the only thing I noticed. I'm just like, you know what? Actually, that works because it's not like it's not so bad. It's and again, at least you're going to like another regional accent. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so today we're looking at Ultimate Fantastic Four um, issues one through four. Um, so this is this is an interesting one because again we kind of mentioned last week we're kind of taking these out of chronological 
order because we want to kind of do two episodes on the ultimate on the first two volumes of ultimates um and we're gonna have probably a pretty that's gonna be a pretty big undertaking for us um but yeah i guess before we get into that kind of fully like what were your initial thoughts on this on on i guess this imagining of fantastic yeah. four <laughs> so i'm a big i'm a big fan of fantastic four i guess a bit like last week um i you know i'm a big fan of uh the x-men as well so x-men fantastic four are my main kind of uh like entrances things which i'm attracted to in in marvel um so i guess it's it's a little bit it's a little bit like um on the lines of ultimate Mm spider-man where i think we we talked about ultimate spider-man where a lot of the criticisms is that it feels that it could be in universe it feels like it could be a retelling feels like it could be the new canon retelling um i think it's the same thing here but you know, I'm a bit warmer towards it because, because you have that connection. Yeah, I have that connection. Like, like I said before, you know, Spider-Man. My only connection is the loving the Raimi's films, but outside of that, I'm mm. not that like I'm. I don't care about Spider-Man all that much. Fantastic Four on the other side. Like, I've always been a fan. Like, I used to like the. Um, I'm big into like science. Yeah. Uh, what they call it, science explorers yeah. and science superheroes. I think they're really fun. Like, you know, adventures of different universes and mm. different, you know, like Tom Strong or whatever. Yeah. Um, and challenges I th- of the unknown. Yeah. I, yeah. Love, like, I love challenges of the unknown, Tom Strong. Um, yeah. There's, there's multiple loads. <laughs> and I think that it's, it, Fenner's for like, they fit that mold. Mm. I was also a big fan of the 2000s. Uh, cartoon i used to watch that a lot yeah I I, I I think i missed that but i'd quite like to go through and watch it again because i've been watching like the avengers i was yeah. like heroes and i'm pretty sure that there's a crossover between them and i'm pretty sure what it is is that when the fantastic four show up they use that fantastic four's art style yeah so it's like so it's like slight it's like slightly different from the standard one and it, again i think some of those early mid-2000s kind of superhero cartoons Mm. probably some of the best ones like i i i guess part of it's because i don't have a great affinity for the 90s like x-men and spider-man yeah but i think like those that kind of run of like the 2000s like there was some great x-men series great avengers series and then a great fantastic four series <laughs> yes yeah, so i used to watch a lot of cartoon network so i used to watch all the 90s stuff too but i really really enjoyed um what's it called earth as greatest heroes or something mm. it only ran one season i found out recently which yeah. is insane to me it's like 20 something episodes but i just remember like watching so many and i have mm. a bunch of them on dvd so it feels like it went on for longer but i guess it's just um the whole kids thing where they just reruns of of yeah. episodes and it's so interesting i wonder if it's just i always wonder with shows like that if it's it's usually toy sales right that usually cans them yeah that's true <laughs> i mean what was it um young justice right yeah where it's like that was a show that had like insane like really good numbers and also spread across loads of demographic like young women young men like yeah kids like it's, like it's a bit like avatar the last airbender where it's yeah. like it's it's got it's obviously aimed at kids but also has this big kind of spread of people it has this yeah. big age range that achieves that and it's following but then obviously it didn't sell toys no. enough for them to be like oh let's keep doing this and also <laughs> like with young justice wasn't it they wanted it to be young young boys like teenage like tween tween to like you know young boys essentially and it's like because mm. they're more likely to buy the toys <laughs> um yeah so so it's one of those things where i think oh yeah and also the two thousand the, the movies i used to like the movies i wouldn't because i was young mm. right yeah, or it's one of those ones, and I, I, I think part of what goes back on those kind of early Fantastic Four movies, I, I think they're like, 
they're fine. Like they're mm. just not. Yeah, I, they're fine. I, my 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 hill to die on was was always that Galactus and like the whole thing where they did Galactus and where Galactus is this giant like cloud monster and. I think it's one of those things that comes up with the MCU where we actually now do have this thing where you can show these kind of really weird and kind of strange kind of characters and depict them like they would be depicted in comics. And that's kind of a normal thing to see now. Mm. But for when those movies came out, Galactus showing Galactus as this big kind of guy with a weird kind of Jack Kirby helmet and that sort of thing who has a machine that kind of drain, you know, that doesn't work. Like I personally think that just doesn't map. (laughs) Yeah, see, this isn't going to be very interesting because I actually completely agree with you. (laughs) I think uh, the idea of Galactus being a massive um, kind of cloud that that, that just Mm. consumes planets, I think is kind of interesting visually as well. I think it's interesting visually because the way that you could do it with space, Mm. I think is is something where I, I didn't mind that as well. I, yeah, I like them. It's one of those things where it's like, Especially, it feels like it would be if it was in the MCU. It would be in the mid tier. Yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of MCU films that are worse and or just as bad or just as average. Yeah, like very. It would be like mid tier because it's one of those ones where it's like it was around the time of like Dark Knight. Well, Batman Begins, I think, was around the time of the first one. Yeah, and Dark Knight sec- would have been the second one. Yeah, so it's one of those ones where, and also if you also remember. Iron Man 1 was quite mm. dark. So it's one of those ones where, like, it, at the time, films the same with the Raimi films were quite dark. I mean, 2 and 3 is particularly. So it's one of those ones where, like, it came out, it probably came out at the wrong time, right? Mm. Yeah, and then and then the second one, the reboot, they tried to make it a bit darker and it was around the time that the, the MCU, <laughs> and the MCU was... Every, bit, and everything got kind of a bit lighter and a bit more fun. Yeah, exactly. They kept being out of touch. Um, I, you, I still haven't seen it. I quite want to. Because I think, fa- was it Forstick? Fantastic. Fan- yeah. Forstick. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, like I, because my perception is, is that this, it kind of draws off the Ultimates and a much, yeah. I guess that's the Ultimates kind of origin kind of mapped out a bit. It's one of those things where like, I, I want to see the original cut. I want to see what it was meant to be. Cause I, I was actually the film that I think is, when I think about it, is the most disappointing to me. Mm. It's a property that I love. It's an idea that they are explorers. They There was the idea that, that with the kind of Cronenberg body horror idea, mm. which they didn't end up properly doing because the studio came in and like did really bad edits, like really bad green screen edits to make it yeah. a generic film. And because a lot of it was film. So it's one of those things where like there's a couple of, it's like, you know, it's Snyder cut. There's, just, there's the um, Schumacher cut for forever <laughs> and there's the Aya cut for Suicide Squad I want all of them but I also want the Trank cut <laughs> yeah because I, I remember reading parts of that like the intro to that script or whatever and it was just fantastic it was just like and it did feel like that, mm. that kind of science hero that science explorer sort of set of things and I think what I do I think, I think it comes into what I quite like about the Fantastic Four is that they're like they're superheroes, kind of, but they're like they're science. They're like again, like that science character, that science and hero family. and superheroes are quite yeah. different kind of things. And I think they kind of bridge that quite well. And there's the real hip, like the really strong kind of family dynamic, mm. which I think is, and again, I don't think has been gotten right. And I, and I think even the MCU will need to get that right. Like I think it's something yeah. that would be quite difficult to, to do. <laughs> yeah, because I think. Um, yeah, as we're doing generic thoughts, you know, Fantastic Four and everything, I think um, it's something that I, I completely agree with. Another thing I was going to talk about, and reading in this, you know, there's a whole thing with like the thing being ugly and the yeah. thing having blah, blah, blah. 
This is a weird thing that I was talking about with my sister when we were watching Hellboy. Mm. They had the same thing with Hellboy. And I am thinking you could definitely like pull a partner. There are people out there that would be into Hellboy. And there will be people that were into the thing. I'm just saying, I'm just oh, saying, 100%. 100% there would be like, people in, in that would be into in that. In this age of the internet, like, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, yep. yeah, Nightcrawler as well. There'll, there'll, yeah. be entire, there'll be entire subreddits devoted yep. to be like, hey, I'm looking for my rock man. Like, yeah, his, like, his DMs, like, yeah, 100%. Because they're talking about that and I'm like, they would probably want like a big Rocky lover, you know what I mean? Or yeah. Same thing with Hellboy. Like Hellboy, would, Hellboy, Hellboy is like that kind of like Hellboy is like a goth dream. Yeah, he's like this. Yeah. he's like this demon. Yeah, he's this like attractive kind of looking demon with kind of his horns abs cut off and, and abs and yeah. And it's that sort of thing. Yeah, he'd be he'd like just be goth <laughs> sub community. It's just been like, oh my god, Hellboy. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's it was what we were thinking about, and it's like it's like nah, totally. You, yeah, you're all good. What was it we were talking about with who who people? would hit up in the for x-men it'd be like nightcrawler oh yeah night, nightcrawler nightcrawler is like the community link like yeah no i found that i found that funny um but yeah all right let's, i think <laughs> that's a great segue into i guess i guess our um the ultimate <laughs> summary um yeah so this yeah so we're covering um ultimate fantastic four issues one through six um so this oh this is the one thing we've talked about a bit before is this is what was covered this was written by Mark Miller and Brian Michael Bendis. And the vibe we kind of get so far is it feels more like a Brian Michael Bendis creation. Yeah. Because, and I, I and that's something I wanted to ask is part of, is that Brian Michael Bendis, is it because Bendis is like, so Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate Fantastic Four essentially recreate the traditional, the recreations of the traditional yeah. origin. Whereas you look at Miller's Ultimate X-Men, and even though it kind of follows the same thing where Magneto's the first villain they face, mm -hmm. it's a very different narrative. Like, it's quite a different, so different story. It's very different to the formation of the original X-Men. Mm. And I wonder if that is part of what... That's the distinction point. And I, again, that's why maybe this feels a bit more like a Bendis creation, because it does quite strict... Quite, you know, quite strictly follow those same kind of plot line and kind of narrative beats as Fantastic Four number one, like back in 1963. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later, but, <laughs> it, but I do think that that, that is, that is, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that's definitely yeah. how I felt. I couldn't pick out, um, I couldn't pick out any like Millerisms mm. or, or at the time Millerisms, you know what I mean? Yeah. N not at all, actually. I, my, my prediction is, and I, and I think even, and I know from, I've just mm. kind of said before that I'm, I think this is probably the weakest of all the ultimate books we've covered so far. But what I what I do think is I'm I am waiting to see Victor Von Doom, Doctor Doom, because I think Doctor Doom is the missing puzzle piece, and I think Doctor Doom. My prediction will be is that we will start seeing those Millerisms come in. Yeah, I actually also just had a thought. I think <laughs> um, I think also with the previous ones with the Avengers, you have to think at the time there would be B C list characters mm. with X Men. As we talked about with background, he wasn't into the X-Men, but he was into, he did like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. He did have ideas. So maybe it's more faithful because of his admiration mm. or his like actually That's liking these characters, yeah. maybe. So it's a little bit more faithful to their origin, et cetera. Yeah. 
She has a good one to take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to covering volume two as well, because I think that's the Doctor Doom stuff, and I think 100%. that all, that that to me is where the Millerisms will come in. <laughs> okay, cool. Alright, so oh so yeah, we'll jump into it. Yeah, so issue number one opens uh, at Midtown High School. This is Peter Parker's high school, isn't it? Obviously no, previously, but I'm pretty sure Midtown High School is um the school that Peter Parker goes to. Um but we get introduced to um Reed Richards, he's the smartest student at Midtown High. Oh, at Midtown Middle School. Um, because of this, he's not really well-liked by other students and by his own dad, which is it's a bit depressing. <laughs> um, um, a group of bullies torment him by kind of shoving his face into the to- in, into a toilet. Um, here, and then we get introduced to Ben Grimm, who is his best friend um, and like the star quarterback of the football team, um, who obviously scares off the bullies and kind of walks Reed home. And then Reed agrees to help Ben with his trigonometry homework. I think... For I think I I think so again I will caveat my saying I don't I think this is the weakest book by saying mm. I think it starts out fantastic I think it starts out really strong and I think what I really like is that we get introduced to Reed as a baby and you get a sense of him being this incredibly inquisitive thing an intelligent child and it's a really happy scene like with his parents right and then the moment we then when we cut to you know eleven years later or twelve years later when he's a teenager his last really message, his dad's borderline abusive. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, isn't providing that kind of submission that Red keeps taking apart all these kind of electronics and stuff. And he, he just like keeps yelling at him and throwing shit at him because he's like, stop taking apart, stop taking apart the blender. And I think that's a really good kind of just initial kind of contrast kind of bit. Mm. Whereas you get this kind of thing, it's, it's almost like you get that kind of hope and then it's like, and then reality. <laughs> yeah, I think also there's a big link here with, um, uh, what's it called, with uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, mm. I think, uh, with the, the relationship there. And I think also kind of, I think I'm, this, I'm kind of a little bit the opposite, not not completely. Mm. Um, but our first disagreement here, I think, um, actually kind of one of my, not the part that I found the most interesting, mm. just because I thought it was that kind of bog standard, bit like Ultimate yep. Spider-Man where there's like, oh, you know, at home, everyone's really annoyed at him because of this. Yeah. And again, for something that isn't really that bad and they're <laughs> kind of like unrealistic, un, not just unrealistically, but like unreasonably, I mean, mm. like unreasonably, um, or that, you know, that this guy's just angry at him because his son's smart yeah. or his son's not being that bad. And then everyone not liking him at school because... He's a bit smart. I'm not sure there's other smart kids who would like him. You know what mm. I mean? It's one of those things where, again, like with a chop between the children, um, I guess high school, so between the high school students, that it didn't feel, didn't ring as true to me. I think a little bit like Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and I felt it's kind of kind of had that same kind of criticism that I did with Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I guess. And maybe, maybe that to me is that. And I, I do think part of it is that that very first kind of page where he's a baby, just the art on that was just something that really struck out to me Yeah. in a way that I think, and I think it's, I can't remember which Cubit it is, I think it's Adam Cubit or Andy Cubit mm. does the art for it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's just the bit, like I like, I loved the art to the point where like kind of maybe elevated a bit. And I think to be fair, this is the probably the first kind of book where even though narratively i haven't enjoyed it as much i've enjoyed the, i've noticed yeah. the art and the stuff of the art that i found much more kind of beautiful or really appealing mm. more than the other books where i have liked the narrative focus a bit more that that's actually fair that's actually a good point because i think 
Yeah, I, I did see. Yeah, I, didn't, I quite <laughs> like that too because it is one of those things where I was also the opening panel I can remember in my head mm. um, with the with the him as baby. But uh, you couldn't press me probably too much. I would. Yeah. Oh no, I could imagine the opening panels of um, Ultimate X Men. But a lot of them, like, I think that it's quite effective when mm. you, you can look back and you're like, oh, yeah, now I can visualize that. Yeah. So that, that is a fair point. Okay, so moving on. Um, Reed Show has been a project he's been working on um, in the family garage, um, using scrap and spare parts from around the house. He's attempted to construct a teleportation device. Reed's sister finds the two tinkering about and threatens to tell their parents, and this Reed agrees to teleport her once he gets the, this device working. Um... Later into that evening, Reed continues to experiment with some stuff up in his room. There is like a massive like sonic boom and a blinding flash of light. And again, Reed's in trouble with his parents. Mm. Um, at his school science fair, Reed introduces a miniature version of a teleportation device. Um, he successfully tends up, sends a toy car into a parallel dimension called the end zone. But he actually has no idea whether or not his device worked beyond the fact that the car kind of disappears. Um, and again, I think this is what I was saying before. I really, really like the art. I like how janky and kind of mashed together the teleporter is. And then like just like the lighting of when this thing disappears. Like again, it's just that, mm. that art just really stood out to me. Me too, me too. Yeah. yeah. Um, after school, a government agent arrives at the Richards household. He tells them that he represents a scientific think tank in Manhattan that recruits young geniuses. And he offers to pay the Richards an undisclosed sum of money for the opportunity to have Reed transferred to their Baxter building facility. Hungry for the money, his parents agree. Um, the government agent, Willie Lumpkin, takes Reed to the Baxter building and introduces him to the project's administrator, Franklin Storm. Storm introduces young Reed to his children, Susan and Johnny. Uh, he shows Reed that the project has created its own teleportation device, but they've never been able to actually like pierce through into the negative zone but they've only been able to kind of like use it as like a view as like a almost like a tv almost um and what they kind of found and we kind of get that kind of idea of therefore there's a really great picture of like we just kind of were viewing one day and then suddenly all these toy cars started drifting <laughs> into the space which i thought was fantastic. yeah yeah and then Looking on to this kind of like teleportation device, Reed has just one word to describe as awe and wonder. Just goes fantastic, and I think, and that's that's the thing that I think is the the bendis of it all. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Ultimate Spider-Man One ends with Peter upside down on his roof, going amazing, like the Amazing Spider-Man Fantastic Four. Yeah, so I think that's the thing, and. Overall, I I just thought this was like young Sheldon, like that, <laughs> but, but but superheroes. It's just like, <laughs> oh, that is that's cracked up. <laughs> Wait, oh, I changed my mind. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> I right, onto issue two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is this is where we get into um, we meet we meet quite an important character, especially in the Fantastic Four mythos. So we open to meet uh, Doctor Arthur Arthur Molkovic. Yeah, Mol Molik Molikovic. Molikovic. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things like Mitchell Pitlick. It's like I, yeah. I've never. I used. You never say it out loud mm. until I listen. You never heard it out loud until I listened to the the. Um, uh, I watched the Superman the Animated Series and yeah. I realized I was saying it wrong the whole time because you just see it written on the page. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, he's a mole-like science teacher at the Baxter Building. Um, berates his, his students for not living up to their expectations. Most of the students despise Molkovic 
and make fun of him behind of his back. Behind his back, um, it is only uh, one other important character, Victor Van Dam, uh, who gives uh, Malkovic any margin of respect. But Victor is also disliked due to his arrogance. I guess talking on the mole man of on mole mm. man. Again, on the design thing, he's just really, really gross. Like he's just yeah. grotesque. And I, th I guess the idea is they're going to going for that. The idea is that it's that that Einsteinian kind of, you know, I'm I'm a genius. I'm putting my effort into my work and not into like, you know, my hygiene. Like he's actually disgusting. He's that's one of the things he's a disgusting character. Yeah. Um. And I think that's the sort of thing of, again, this is that kind of Bender style update of a character where you know, the main idea is a kind of kit because in the original Fantastic Four, like he's shunned because it's a cause of his appearance. And I think there's obviously there's always that kind of correlation in a lot of media between grotesqueness and ugliness and evil, which is, can be kind of a difficult one and obviously yeah. a bit of a cliche, but I think the way you do that is quite, I don't think there is a good way to do that here, which is like, okay, he's grotesque and, but he's and obviously then this you know that he's going to be the villain, but in a way that at least means it's not necessarily his appearance that is the root of that. Yeah, um, I think I think also this is something that we uh, th that I also picked up on something I thought about is um, we don't think about this, but like you know, Mole Man is quite interesting. Mole Man being the first one because mm. we're talking about arch enemies here, right? Yeah. So in each of the ones that we've seen so far we have had the arch enemies pretty much of these characters. So we had Green Goblin, Spider-Man, we've had um, Magneto, Magneto X-Men. Here, like Mole Man's an interesting one because as much as we think, you know, we talk about Doctor Doom, he's quite, he's an obvious one. He is mm. probably the, he would be 100% their, their arch enemy. Yeah. But I think Mole Man is, is one that's really, I think was a really interesting choice because it's something that made me think about how um, Mole Man and that kind of thing in the sixties is their first, their first villain. Mm. And I do think it's kind of interesting how it was their kind of, uh, kind of spawn this archetype that I had never thought about that. Yeah. Essentially it's a, as much as we don't, we think about the Joker or anything. It is one that's actually also had another impact on, on popular fiction. Yeah, like I, yeah. I think people would recognize not literally the character of mole man, but the idea yeah. of like, like, you know, you know, the Simpsons has mole man. Yeah. Like the Simpsons, you know, there's that sort of thing where, it is the sort of thing of like when people talk about the, you know, all people talk about mole people and it's these kind of like short kind of, kind of like scabby kind of like kind of warty kind of like little kind of guys, like kind of grotesque looking people. And again, I think it, it's weird to think that this is one of those ones where just subtly yeah. in the same way that obviously, like you said, the Joker is like, is this recognizable figure, but the mole man has almost become this kind of archetypal, this kind of like little kind of this, this kind of image that, while it's not so recognizable as probably relating at the beginning in Fantastic yeah. Four, it has this kind of impact where we kind of have this idea of what the mole man is, or what mole people. Yeah. Well, obviously, the obvious one is the Underminer in The Incredibles. Incredibles yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking that because it's like you know the the underminer etc. It's like we you wouldn't see many kids wearing t-shirts of of mole man, but <laughs> it, it's just an interesting character that we've because since we've been introduced to it here, one which which has kind of left its mark on fiction. I think because you have to think about the kind of sixties um, sci-fi stuff mm. that was going on, silver age sci-fi, born out of that. But it's a it's an archetype that kind of started here, and it's 
you know, even though he's not like the most franchise and merchandisable character, he's one that definitely had a kind of impact on popular culture. I also think when you're saying on terms of like adaptations as well, and I, I think mm. that is part of the reason why some of the Fantastic Four movies don't do so well is that they always immediately jump to Doctor Doom yeah. as the primary villain. And I think Doctor Doom is one of these characters that it's almost better to kind of draw out the kind of the threat. Like it's that sort of thing you want to, you want Doctor Doom to be your second or third villain. Yeah. As opposed to your first. Mm, I, I I agree. I also think um, the other things that attract me to to Fantastic Four, I think that Fantastic Four actually have one of the strongest um, rogues galleries in the in mm. the Marvel Universe by far. You've got to think like, you know, Silver Surfer, um, even though a lot of these characters are so good that they've branched out from yeah. just being their villains, that kind of shows the strength of it. You have Silver Surfer, um, Galactus, uh, Doctor Doom, you know, Mole Man, etc. Mm. It's like it's a decent rogues gallery. I mean, there's more than a lot of characters. I mean, even like it's one of those ones where like even um, like the Avengers, etc. You know, I think that it's one of those ones that's kind of underrated. And and it's what's that sort of thing where the Avengers, like I think. Scrolls yeah. as well. The, yeah, right? the scrolls. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, and I think that's the thing people like because the Fantastic Four is what kind of kicks off Marvel yeah. as like what we what we know of Marvel. Like the Fantastic Four is the start point, and yeah, I, th I guess like that's probably the testament of obviously some of those. Even though obviously other characters are being created alongside in those once the, you know the X Men or the Avengers and the, these other books come up, I think the fact that the Fantastic Four characters seem to be, as like I said, the Rogues Gallery seem to be the ones that are easiest to branch out yeah in the same way that you know it's like it's like the kind of the fantastic four and villains and magneto because magneto is the other or thanos is a fantastic four villain i yeah, think pretty sure yeah like it's so good because it's like when i think of super scroll right they mm. had that one in um the uh, what's it called the secret invasion yeah. thing recently when i think of super scroll i think of him having you know the thing's arm and be on fire and the invisibility and the, yeah like using the fantasy four powers it's one of those things where like it's a little bit like the flash right mm. the flash i think is one of the top five rogues galleries because he has so many really really good villains mm. right it's a little bit like him and because we all know about batman we all know about x-men fantastic yeah. rogues galleries brilliant um and we all know about um you know, Spider-Man's, right? Mm. But it's one of those ones where, like, Fantastic Four and and The Flash are ones that have so many really good villains, but people also don't think of them as their, mm. their villains because they're so good that they branch out to yeah. a whole they're universe They're really threat. easy to become, like, yeah, they're yeah. really easy to become franchise crossover kind of villains. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, so... Oh, where were we before? Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, it's all right. Um, so Reed Richards here. So Reed Richards is working on uh, the end zone. Uh, teleportation device uh, but as engrossed in his work as he becomes he's easily disrupted by the presence of his co-student sue storm <laughs> reed later returns to his dorm room to find victor rifling through his notes reed is enraged for his for this invasion of his privacy but victor insists that his mathematical um his mathematical conclusions are incorrect uh, Reed chases Victor away upon studying Victor's alteration of his notes. Um, Reed comes to the conclusion that Victor was correct. He confronts him later about Victor's attitude, but recognizes that Victor's talent and it recognizes Victor's talent 
and asked him if he would like to work with him further on this project. Yeah, so this is kind of our first introduction here to Reed and uh, Victor's relationship, which is obviously mm. a very important one for um, kind of the whole mythos and yeah. setting everything up. What were your thoughts on that? I think it's one of those ones where I think I like the fact, like, and I think the throwaway line that kind of comes out here is that Reed talks about how he could help Victor with his robotics project. And I think I like the fact that it starts as kind of a mutual partnership because I think... And what I find interesting is I'm pretty sure in the origin of Dr. Doom reads the one who finds flaws in Victor's, you know, in, in the mainline Marvel universe reads the one who finds a flaw in Victor's work where Victor refuses to accept it. And then that causes like the accident that makes him eventually leads him down the track to becoming Dr. Doom. Hmm. And I like that kind of reversal here. Cause I think it's that sort of thing of everyone can, you know, calls out Victor's arrogance, but I think I like kind of having that mirror of, Reed's got the similar kind of, even if it's not as so apparent, there's a similar kind of arrogance to it as well. Yeah, I liked it too, because I think it makes it more um, kind of realistic in a way where Victor is really smart. Victor points out these issues, but it's not about that. It's also about how you kind of are as a person. Mm. I think that he may be right, but it's one of those issues where like he did the calculations and there's the arrogance of like, you might be really smart, right? You might actually be the smartest person in the room, mm. but you sometimes need people to look over stuff and collaborate with other yeah. people. Collaboration is important. I think that we'll go into later when the accident happens, but the mm. accident basically happens because they don't collaborate. They, like there's one of them's arrogant. The other one's kind of arrogant too. Yeah. That they, It's a little bit like um, what, what I liked about this is one of my criticisms I always feel with the X-Men story sometimes mm. is until kind of recently, um, is that we hear about this famous thing where like Magneto and Charles Xavier were friends, but we never really mm. see it, which kind of like often depictions of the X-Men is like, oh, in the past we were yeah. this. Um, what I like about here is you basically straight out of the bat go, yeah, they work together, they were colleagues, they both respect each other, but the problems are more down to personality clashes. Yeah. And I think that's kind of more realistic than being friends, but like, but having really strong ideological differences mm. that you're less likely to be like, it's kind of like, how were you friends? And it would have been cooler to, for example, with Ultimate X-Men, I think Ultimate X-Men is great, but I think sometimes I feel sometimes with the X-Men thing, it would be really great to see them at the point where they were friends before mm. they fell out. I think that does come up at some stuff. I might be, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure, oh, there, I'm sure there is a bit that comes up, but yeah, um, yeah but I, I think even then it's a, it's a thing I do like, yeah, like that kind of like that clash of mm. personalities as opposed to... <laughs> yeah, because I'm just thinking like the first X-Men movie or yeah. the, like often when you hear that story. And I like here that they, they're doing a retelling, mm. you know, whatever our criticism is, it's retelling, but it's retelling straight from the beginning. We get yeah. to see Reed and Victor's relationship instead of, you know, in the future where Victor is... yeah killing everyone or something <laughs> but yeah to, to move on so basically uh later dr franklin storm who is uh of course the uh storm twib siblings um father um has arthur Molkovic in his office oh, it's a great name <laughs> yeah yeah well we've already now seemed like we've decided that's how we pronounce Malkovic. it um yeah so the air force and also another important character in the marvel uh kind of mythos uh, Air Force General Thaddeus Ross, who sponsors the project, is also present. 
It has been discovered that Molkovic has been illegally conducting biotechnological experiments, creating his little buddies. Um, his files and data are confiscated and Molkovic is fired from the Baxter building. Kind of going back a little bit of a time jump to today, the final large-scale prototype for the end zone teleporter is completed and ready for initial, initial testing. The device is erected in the middle of a, of a desert in Nevada. Reed's childhood friend, Ben Grimm, who we met last issue, arrives to visit him. Reed has enough clout with the project now to allow him access. Reed, Ben, Johnny, Sue, and Victor dress in blue and black utility uniforms and stand at the ground zero as the end, end zone device is about to be activated. Its first test is to transmit the contents of an apple through a dimensional breach. But at the last minute, Reed senses that something is wrong and shouts, wait. But he is too late. The device is activated and there is a blinding flash of white light that flares across the entire desert. The big one here for me was just Kubrick's art is just mm. amazing. And just, it's one of the things where, again, the build up to everything going wrong. And I think the thing that I found really funny is, and again, like I only just clicked this now, is there's a comparable thing that's very reminiscent of the Manhattan Project yeah. and like the nuclear testing, but also the scale of this whole experiment, like this is massive kind of like building sized kind of teleportation device and it's to teleport an apple. Yeah. <laughs> it's this massive, like big, it's this, you know, and again, it's this big grandiose kind of thing to teleport an apple. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's something about that just really, really appealed to me. It was just, I find that like a really uh, yeah. cool little kind of thing. I did too. I think it's really interesting because it's a little bit like whenever we see the first inventions of, of technology like the computer or something right mm. and it's always enormous like all these things looks really great and then it's like all old computers like enormous you know all yeah. these things and it like can you know have a couple of dots you can play pong you know <laughs> it, so i kind of love that that it's kind of there, there's a sense sense of reality mm. another thing i liked here is, is we just pick off just to pick off what we were talking about earlier uh I like here. It seemed that that the issue here isn't isn't sabotaged by Rich uh, by Victor. Mm. It isn't that he is. They also establish that he is intelligent. He's not someone who's uh, he's on kind of the same kind of level as yeah. as as Reed. It's not that kind of like I'm smart and you're not kind of thing going here. Or it's kind of just again his like collaboration. It's, and yes, yeah, it's that clash of I think something's wrong, or you've but instead of talking to you about it, I'm just mm. going to do it. I was right in the past, therefore I'm right now. Mm. Yeah, which I think I think is really interesting character traits, and I, I yeah I, I thought that was that was something that was really well done here. Yeah, cool. So issue three opens with Reed Richards lying in the dirt, um, and as the kind of camera, it's almost like a camera pans out, you see his body is becoming like really fluid and elongated. <laughs> um, army personnel and scientists swarm the end zone teleportation platform, trying to understand what's happened, um, and some of General Ross's men find Reed's like stretched out in disfigured form and think it's some kind of like alien creature that's been teleported from the end zone. Um, they open fire on him, but then the bullets are absorbed. Um, and then before realizing that it is Reed, um, then Dr. Franklin storm believes his children, Sue and Johnny are dead. Um, Reed freaks out because he believes the teleporter has been tampered with. Um, and shortly thereafter, the base receives a telephone call confirming that Ben Grimm survived the blast as well. 
However, Ben has been teleported to Mexico City and transformed into a huge rock-covered monstrosity. Elsewhere, Johnny Storm awakens inside of a hospital um, in France. He has no idea of what's happened to him. As he becomes more and more agitated, his body temperature rises until he literally bursts into flame. The ambient heat from his body melts all the equipment on the room and sets off the sprinklers, um, which eventually douses flame. I think the one point I want to start here is this is that kind of body horror mm. that I quite like. It's like, so Reed's thing is like, you know, it's, it is, he, it's not so much the pain of it, but it's just like the disfigurement and he's all twisted. And again, he looks so alien. And there's bits where it almost feels like, you know, his face is drooping. It's like he's yeah. trying to keep his body together. And then the same thing with the thing you see that like every step he takes is like an earthquake. And then similarly and then same thing with johnny is like he burst into flames and just starts screaming because obviously you burst into flames like. yeah and it's a little bit like i think the only one that that i was a little disappointed with was um i guess sue mm. just because i know originally uh, we haven't got up to that yet but i know that in fan four stick um i know that one of the ideas in that was that it was going to be like parts of her body as in like yeah. her skin so you could so she looks down and then she sees like her basic organs, organs yeah. and her bones and like all stuff like that was like her not being able to until she she uses it mm. but yeah i love that too i think that there was something that was really effective and something that works really well with an origin like this compared to an origin like spider-man or something mm. is it's not like oh my god i've can lift weights or something <laughs> oh my god i can climb um it's you know my body's melting i'm on fire you know i i am now like a rock monster my you know i can see my organs you know it was mm. something where i think as an origin is quite effective yeah so then a call was made to the Baxter building in New York and Dr. Storm is relieved to discover that Johnny's still alive. However, there is no current word on Sue or Victor. Um, Reed realizes that Victor changed the coordinates on the teleporter at the last minute. They'd argued about some of the computations, but he was under the impression that they had agreed on specific spatial coordinates for the, for the experiment and Victor must have altered them at the last minute. Reed further theorizes that the strange physical mutations that everyone seems to be developing are similar to the four the four elements of creation: earth, air, fire, and water. This is this is the bit that I think was weak. And mm. actually, I kind of agree with you. But the reason why, and I think again, I think my fix is is that we see in subsequent issues that again and again we know um, that Mole Man has discovered this kind of like ancient civilization sort of side of things and he's this guy who introduces this kind of weird alchemical mystical element to it hmm. and i actually think i all it would have needed to be done is if reed had been trying to approach this from a purely hard science perspective yeah and then you get this weird other perspective from mole man that does have this kind of sense of okay is this mystical is this elemental versus some versus read very hard science this is the moment this is the way it has to yeah. be i also think it it did feel like if you pardon the pun a stretch like mm. it was one of those things where earth fire water and air <laughs> it was one of those things where like yeah i can kind of see that it feels like you you had this idea and you could do something if you developed it and it was in the script maybe there was in the script mm. meeting between the two of them because it's collaborative but like didn't really get developed on because i mean i think you maybe could but it felt I, like it's pretty like, I think yeah. the thing is, and I think there's a one that does it better that does this kind of, because I think that is the impression is that they are like, they are characterized by these four elements. Yeah. But Marvel did a book called 1602, which was essentially was 
here are all the superhero origins, but in the 1600s, so in the year 1602. And again, they and they use the same alchemical idea for the Fantastic Four that works because it's in this sort of space where, you know, in the setting where, you know, mutants are called witch breed. Like mutants are kind of like thought to be witches. So it goes into this kind of like, okay, here's this very real thing about witches and witch hunts. Mm, and yeah. we apply that context to mutants. That's cool. The Fantastic Four, you go, okay, cool, we've got this weird science. Let's do this sort of thing of, you know, what's the science, what does science look like in the 1600s? Oh, it's alchemy. And alchemy, you know, the four elements are important to alchemy. So then you kind of, but then you, again, you build in that idea using that setting. Whereas here it feels a bit out of place because everything up to here has kind of felt very hard science or not hard science, mm. but very scientific. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I completely agree mm. with you. I think it's, it kind of goes away because I don't mind a little bit of mysticism yeah. in, um, in, science kind of like a science hero stuff like for example i think if it's done well for example mm. i think that they kind of go a little bit into soup um into supernatural in tom strong as one of my favorite issues is the yeah. aztec one but like but it does go into supercomputer stuff too so it kind of melds it a little bit mm. um and i think sometimes that can work when done properly and i think here i, I actually agree with you because one of those things where it just felt really just thrown in because it's such like an enormous thing to mm. say earth fire water air Blah, blah, blah. Something, something like that. Like it's really important, but it was like a throwaway comment by Reed Richards, who again is a scientific person, mm. like as in rigidly science. That it is one of those things where, like, I completely agree with you. Where it didn't feel very well thought out. Yeah, it felt like an idea they may have had in a script writing room, and then they were like, they just kept it in, and it was just like a throwaway yeah. comment that wasn't developed. It just felt strange. <laughs> but yeah, and then so the issue closes out where Sue Storm awakens in an underground cavern. And again, like you said, she's shocked to discover that she's, her body has turned like partially translucent. But again, it's very much a case mm. where like she looks down and it's like chunk. There's like a chunk invisible bit between like where her hand and her like um, elbow are. You know, that's turned invisible. Oh, right. Yeah. As opposed to like you said, like, you know, it's her skin so you can see her organs or you can see, um, you know, the, her bones, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, however, this is not the most surprising thing. Arthur Malkovic, her former science instructor, um, discovers her escorted by a strange colony of like mutant drones. And again, I think this is why there's something that I think leads into why we think that three other members of the Fantastic Four got the really interesting kind of almost body horror aspects. Mm. It's partly because my third thing is, and I think there's a lot of criticism, oh no, fair critique of the early. Fantastic Four, and I think a lot of early yeah. Marvel properties is, and the same thing happens with Jean Grey and X Men, where their role is to be the girl on the team. So they're the one. It's the same, similar kind of damsel in distress. So even though she has powers, it's very much more like a, you know, Jean spends a lot of time like there's you know bits where she's like, oh, I'll move a chair with my telekinesis, <laughs> and it's, it's that sort of thing because there there's the relationship. It's because I guess based on sixties models of relationships. Yeah. And I wonder if that is kind of a little bit of the legacy of that here where yeah. all the other characters get quite interesting kind of revelations of their powers where Sue's, mm. because she has to be put in this damsel in distress kind of position, kind of doesn't get that kind of development. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Or what's the other example that's kind of like, it's so bad that it's like <laughs> ridiculous is one of the ones where it's like a Wonder Woman, one of the most powerful, probably like arguably 
she is on the arguably a lot mm. of people it's fiction but uh is on the same same kind of power level as as superman mm. was the secretary of the <laughs> of the justice society who had like basically half of them had no powers <laughs> like but wildcat yeah i am a boxer i punch I'm, I'm, people i'm a boxer but i i <laughs> Put on a cat suit and I punch people. Uh, and like, was it the the I'm, first atom is like a, a student who like is a, a little bit good at like uh, athletics, but then that, they have an Amazon goddess as your as your secretary. As your secretary. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of definitely is one of those things where we we first see Mole Man uh, goes into that. Also, the other thing that was the other one that was the other one that was another reference point. Um, is that kind of mole man thing? It's like Despicable Me, hundred yes. percent. Because oh, that is that yes. is yeah. It's so many ones where it's like clearly that is mole man. You yeah, know? because in this case, yeah, like the the minions, your little boys, um, are yeah. these little yellow kind of <laughs> like little guys. Boys. And yeah, mole man has these things with the moloids. Again, they're yeah. these little kind of yellow. They're much more like kind of gross than the minions, but they're like these little yeah. kind of yellow kind of like creatures. Yeah. And in this I love case, them. <laughs> yeah. They're real cute. I should change my mind. They're real meant for <laughs> merchantizable. I don't know why Disney have little, little boys. You can have little boys. You can get a little oh, moloids. When they show up in the MCU, like, they get, like, <laughs> yes. gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, <laughs> to be minions. It's going to be like, it's going to be Grogu again. It'd be yeah. like, it'd be like, so, oh, a moloid. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get little moloid boys. And you're going to get, and what was it? Was it gentle minions? And they had gentle minions. You get, you know, little, you'll have something like little moloids. Everyone, all the students dressed up as little moloids. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I love little moloids. Um, but right, yeah. On to issue four. On to issue four. Um, so, the issue starts off. Focusing on Johnny Storm, after he he has been brought back to the Baxter Building for testing. Essentially, his father um, tries to get Johnny to tap into that psychological tr- trigger that causes his body to spontaneously combust. Unconsciously, uh, Johnny finds his trigger, uh, but demonstrates it by mouthing his famous catchphrase, Flame On. Later, Reed finds finds the Ben Grimm now the now the thing uh, sitting in the lounge. He has been outfitted with an impact suit so that his his increased uh, mass doesn't cause damage to whatever surface he is standing or sitting upon. Ben asks him if if Reed is responsible for his current condition, and and Reed says yes. Flying into a rage, Ben attacks him. Reed uses his newfound stretching abilities to wrap himself around around Ben. He calms him down and promises that he will find a way to turn him back to normal. I think, like, I liked the little just addition of the impact suit because I feel like mm. it's just another little bit to add to the monstrosity is, okay, now you're like a three-ton rock monster and you, you are going to have this impact on stuff. And I, think it, yeah. I think it, and I think it takes it just beyond, obviously, just the physical... The, the physical nature of like obviously what happens to the, to Ben, mm. it takes away like okay look you physically look like this monstrous kind of thing like this craggy orange rock, but then actually now there's this additional one where it's like okay now you damage everything you touch. Yeah, I see. It's another one where I was I was talking about with um with the thing. And you know, we we're talking about with you mm. know our little boys, our little moloids. Like mm. you know how they're going to be great when they're in the MCU. I think the thing will be a really big one too because the thing was really big in like the eighties. Yeah, because it's one of those things that also like here and what what I mean by that the context here is they used to do him like fighting the Hulk, 
fighting like Wolverine, fighting like really big, powerful mm. like people, like you know Adam Anthony uh, against Adam Anthony Claws against the Hulk. And I yeah. think here, what I like about that is they kind of take that into account, which I don't think the Fantastic Four movies up to this point have, mm. where this guy is quite powerful. Like here, they like his like footsteps are earthquakes you know he has to wear this suit mm. to keep his powers in check and i think here i quite like the kind of um the kind of like conscious they're conscious of his abilities like yeah. he's not um it's one of those things where like he has to wear the suit or like the building will fall down <laughs> and i think that it's one of those things where like uh, yeah i think that if the mcu for example um i think we'll probably talk about the mcu here more than the most other things just because they're imminent kind of yeah, introduction. Yeah, coming up. They've, they've announced that there's always there's lots of rumors about who the mm. cast is. Yeah, and I think I think here, I think the thing is one which which can also be a really important, a really cool mm. character. He can be that kind of, I guess he could be one of the linchpins where he can be a, he is like a fun kind of weirdly grounded as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's what I find like, yeah, is because, and it's one of these big ones where compared to the rest of like the Fantastic Four who are just kind of, or oh, they're from New York, or they're from these sort of things. Mm. The thing is from a specific community. It's like Yancey Street. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing. So there's like a specific place that he's tied to. And again, I think he's, you know, one of the big Jewish characters. Yeah, that's and true. And it's that sort of yeah. thing. Like he's he's tied to an identity in a way that the rest of them aren't. Mm. And I think that's probably what adds to that popularity is that sort of thing of being like, you know, there's he, you know, he feels like that guy, you know, it feels like one of the things people go, I know a guy like that. I know like a guy like that in my community. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of those things where, um, I think that he's also, it's also, he has like such a unique design. Mm. I think other than their costumes, which are great, um, you know, the kind of just the four is quite effective. I think, um, I think that he's one who's got like a really unique design while the other's are pretty much just people, mm. right? Like they got the cool powers, but this one's got like a really unique kind of design. Like he's not just like rocks, like, you know, yeah. a couple of stones, like um, what's his name? Korg. Yeah. He's like orange and big and he has a unique kind of like figure. And there's like mm. iconic looks as well with him. Like when I think of the things, sometimes I think of him in the trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's like some of these like famous looks. Cause yeah. I mean like he had a solo series for ages yeah, well, there was a, yeah, I remember on the thing where he's you know he fights the Hulk and that sort of thing. There was a book. It was called like the Contest of Champions, mm. and essentially was like this alien. Essentially, like the alien equivalent of like a WWE wrestler. Like, but <laughs> but he's like an alien god who's a WWE wrestler kidnaps a whole bunch of superhumans, and he's like, I want to fight everyone to, I you know, I'm going to fight to prove that I'm the strongest, and it's one of these things where. It's the sort of thing where everyone mm. talks about that. Like the thing is, the thing he's the guy, they always go, he's the character who has the indomitable will. Yeah. Like, it's like, he's not necessarily the strongest, but he's the guy who'll keep getting back up. And I think that's what a really interesting thing to contrast with some of these discussions, with these kind of narratives around how he perceives himself. Is it sort of thing of like, there's this degree of like self-loathing about who he is and what he's become. But then underneath all that is this like an indomitable kind of will yeah. and drive. I do and in a way yeah. that I think compared to like say Captain America with this always mm. a sort of thing of you know Captain America always gets back up and that sort of thing it's like well yeah but he's just a guy he just yeah. looks like a normal person right there's that there's not that same degree of othering and alienation it's true that then makes that gives that kind of like that kind of I'm I am going to keep fighting I'm going to keep going wait 
I guess also that Jew, like not only that, but the Jewish aspect, etc. That yeah, that that is interesting because I also think he's fascinating. That he's kind of the one who, out of the Fantastic Four, he's like weirdly the one that's kind of kind of been the most successful branching out. Mm. Like I mean, I know that there's stories that have like Reed Richards. Reed Richards is great, like all yeah. this stuff. But I mean, like a solo series or something. He's kind of like the one who mm. of the Fantastic Four, which you probably wouldn't have guessed because he doesn't get a lot of focus a lot of the time. But he's the one who. Um, I think is the one who has his own solo book. Like, f- even though Johnny, like a lot of people's favorite because he's like funny or something, you well, don't really get well, Johnny Human gets, Torch as much. Yeah, Human Torch kind of gets merged into there was obviously that show Spider Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. And the, well, I don't think, or, but that's the sort of thing where you get that Human Torch gets folded into Spider Man a lot. That's still like a team thing. But yeah, yeah. But, like, but it was almost, or even though, or they have a relationship, but it's that sort of thing of like, it's always, I guess, when you get that, Spider-Man's yeah. the predominant character. Yeah. I mean, and then they've probably all been in the mm. Avengers at some point. I think. <laughs> Who hasn't been? Um, yeah, so so anyway, so mean, meanwhile, 1.4 miles below the Earth, Dr. Arthur Molkovic, oh, now uh, I'm just going to call him Mole Man, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah. uh, has found Sooth and Storm. He has covered his uh, Annie-Men. Oh, I kind of like Moloids, but his Annie-Men take her from the uh, Nevada... Nevada desert and bring her to an enormous underground valley. Mole Man has been living there for years uh, at this point. Uh, he believes that the he believes that the theory of a hollow earth is true. So he's kind of like a hollow earther, um, and and that there are substantial links between it and the lot this theory of lost Atlantis. Using the alien technology left behind from an unknown species, Molkovic uh, has power over the Baxter Building mainframe computer, a huge tower of data banks and video monitors that lie within the cavern. Molkovic even goes on to explain how he used blood scraped from an ancient weapon to form the DNA template for his biological experiments. This is how he has created his moloids. Uh, and more than anything, Arthur is in love with Susan Storm. Okay, so yeah, so th- there's, there's a couple of things to tick off here. This is where I think they should have introduced the mystic stuff. Like that, This is the bit where you go, okay, cool. Because he talks about, he you know, brings in some kind of like Hindu kind of like Sanskrit yeah. kind of scripture or, that, or like kind of that sort of side of thing. I'm just like, this is where if you want to introduce that mystical kind of alchemical kind of idea, you bring it in here. Because then, cause again, then you can do this sort of thing. You, you want to talk about Atlantis and lost civilizations. You can blur. That's where that kind of line between like, oh, the technology and the science blurs a lot. Mm-hmm. And you can go, oh, cool. You could be like, they are alchemical. And I think that's where I think that kind of comes in. Oh, I completely agree. I also think like, yeah, it definitely comes in here, especially with the the stuff to do with the damsel in distress stuff mm. with Susan Storm. I do think that she's one um, who I think here it didn't bother me as much just because it's like he says yeah, oh, I love it's like you. Sim- similar in like the to our discussion about Wolverine. Yeah, last exactly. Week. She's it's like briefly mentioned and kind of went on. I, I think it's a bit of a shame it didn't like. I think I think what I think of, yeah. I find and again I same similar sort of way is that. You get the idea that he's like I guess the thing he's always been set up as this kind of weird, kind of grotesque, kind of creepy person. He's got this mainframe that he can see everything that's happening in the Baxter Building, and he's been scientifically shunned. He's living, he's been living underground for like I don't know, like 
let's say like 10 years or like yeah. four, five years or whatever. And it's that sort of thing you go, do you know what? I could kind of sit and go, he's probably just lost it a little bit. He's, he's got yeah. a bit mad. <laughs> no, I think at this point, I'm surprised he didn't have, I was thinking of like Gremlins <laughs> 2, the new batch. Cause I was thinking like, he could have, I'm shame there wasn't like a little Moloid girlfriend that he could, I'm thinking like, have you seen that with this, like the, the Gremlin girl? Oh, yes. <laughs> I think he had that like a Moloid with lipstick and <laughs> lovely hair. And he could be this, his lovely, his lovely wife. Moloid in a wig. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, moving on from the Moloids, later Johnny is finally brought out of quarantine where he is reunited with Reed and Ben. Astonished by Ben's appearance, he <laughs> refers to him Sorry. as some sort of Sorry, I keep thing. About Moloids. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Who doesn't think about Moloids? I think we should all think about Moloids. <laughs> so he refers that's, to him. I feel like that's a t-shirt story. Everybody should think about Moloids. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love him. Um, my little boys. Um, all right. So everyone is still at a loss to what could have happened to Sue and Victor Van Damme. I mean, yeah. Is, it, is there a like John Claude Van Damme thing going on here? I think it's because they're just like. <laughs> I want it to sort of thing of like, okay, Von Doom is just like it's just one of those ones that's a bit too weird. I don't know if the. I don't know. I I wonder if it's just a way of like let's just kind of smooth it over and just be like, okay, we're going to give him like a like a European kind of sounding name that isn't necessarily like Victor Von Doom. Yeah. I think I think it's a little bit it's cracking me up. <laughs> it's like, like, <laughs> yeah. and his uncle Jean Claude. <laughs> yeah, Joe, what's cracking me up about this is we usually we will especially next week we'll talk about um or the week after or whatever. Our next episode we'll be talking about um the the whole thing with like casting people mm. in the MCU and it's like cracking me up this idea that like Mark Miller is casting like uh John Claude Van, Van Damme doing like kicks as uh, doing his like kicks <laughs> and his splits as like um it, I'm cracking me up this idea where like he, the whole scene where he's going in uh going in he's like he's in his office you know doing mm. going through his notes he's like doing the splits on two chairs <laughs> while doing it or like doing some high kicks you know like every time he's talking to him, he's doing a serious monologue I also I also wonder <laughs> if I also wonder if Van Dam or like the instead of Von like Van yeah is the would be a proper i presume it'd be german mm. or like Aust like austro-hungarian like that sort of sort of thing i wonder if that would be a correct like like anglicization of it yeah because i think john claude van damme is belgium mm. yeah so it could be it could be uh it could be something like that that is true not casting him <laughs> but that is what crossed my mind i did find that really funny um <laughs> But yeah, so but before the conversation can progress, so that's um, the, the about being worried about Sue and Victor, um, there is a tremendous rumble from outside, racing to the window. They find that a giant, like reptilian kaiju monster has broken through the streets of Manhattan from underground, ready to wreak destruction on everything it finds. Clearly here, this is the kind of... Um, uh, this is very much an homage to the first issue, yeah. the very famous uh, cover of the, mm. the the monster, my little boy, like Mole Man. Mole Man, Mole Man's. <laughs> it's oh. not like, at that point, it's not like a moloid. It's like a... <laughs> the like ultimate a moloid. Moltoed. Multi. Yeah. Multi. Yeah, I love that. Molezilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They can, they can grow up big and healthy. I did think it also felt a little bit Clash of the Titans as well. And I think that's what I also think um, 
going back and see, like reading the first issue of Fantastic Four is is how much you could see that kaiju influence come in. Yeah. And like the original like Fantastic Four, you know, Mole Man hides out on Monster Island. And like there is this whole yeah. thing of like this is just island of kind of kaiju that he is the ruler of. Which I think is cool, but I also think it's quite funny. I it, yeah. I think that if they when they do the a little moloids in the in the MCU, they should have them be like little claymation. I think that'd be really cool. Oh. Like straight up, that would actually be kind of cool. Like everybody else is like that, but they're like, because you know they're from like the mud and stuff. Yeah, they could have like be a little like cute, like little claim. Not don't have to be cute. It's Disney, so it will be. But the, but there will be like you could have them out of like kind of like they're out of mud, but like mm. claymation, like when they used to have in. Um, What's it called? Like, I think it would actually genuinely be cool. Like in um, Clash of the Titans, yeah. where they have the claymation. Or Jason and the Argonauts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where you have like the claymation like things with it. Because I think that would actually be a really cool idea. Or if, even if you, even if they're not going to do that, like at least puppets. Like I think that would be a mm. really cool thing to have, like have something physical there to kind of model off of. I think also the idea of like, you know, how some claymation things like, um, but, you know, a million things like the mm. uh, Wallace and Gromit, et cetera. You can kind of sometimes see like the thumbprints yeah. on there. I think it would be cool to kind of a little bit see that because it's a little bit like he sculpted, he sculpted them himself. Them. Yeah. Oh man, that it would be cool. Um, he definitely should be the villain for the first one. I, I, I actually think yeah, like, I think it would just be an easy, not e I think it'd just be an interesting one to do. And I think it's that sort of thing of the Fantastic Four as this kind of foundation point for Marvel. I just think it's a great idea just to sit sit start them off with yeah, like this this story. Like I think that's something quite cool about, and in the, I know obviously you can adapt it in different ways, but I think it just feels like a, such a good launch point, a good way to be like, look, this is what this is about. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's something where I just had this realization. It's like, nah, Mole, Mole Man's cool. Like, I like Mole Man. Like we're talking about it now, and I'm like, I have like a weird amount of affection for Mole Man and his moloids. Like I, I want to see that on the big screen. <laughs> Alright, so <laughs> issue five begins. Um, at the base of the Baxter building, this massive beast has emerged from the depths of the earth. Um, Reed, Ben, and Johnny and Dr. Storm look on. Um, during the commotion, Johnny accidentally melts a window and falls through. Um, instinctively, he commands Flame on and discovers he can fly in this while he's on fire. Not to be outdone, Ben Grimm plunges from the window after Johnny and slams into the street below. The creature quickly snatches Grimm and tries to consume him, but Ben is able to wedge himself between its jaws. Um, Reed Witches uses uses his extensible body, extendable body, to wrap around the creature's jaws, allowing Ben to escape. Um, the creature swats Ben into the upper floor of a nearby building, and when Ben emerges, he decides to take matters into his own hands and begins to pummel the giant creature back into the crater it came from. I just think this is a really fun action sequence. Like, mm, I think too, it's, yeah. I think that's the thing sometimes is that like there's not too much to analyze here. It's just a really fun, good kind of like well illustrated like flow of an action sequence. And it's the sort of thing they don't, you know, none of them have got like a full grasp on their powers and that sort of thing. And I think it just kind of like I think it just flows well. I, I completely agree. I also think it's kind of interesting. We were to, we we're talking about with the popular culture and everything mm. with with the impact on that. It's interesting to see how many of them really have like catchphrases. Mm. Like it's one of those things where say the Avengers got Avengers Assemble, right? Yeah. But these ones have like, like it's clobbering time. Like it's, it's like even in meme cultures, like remember Morbin time, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's kind of these ones where like, and flame on. It's one of these ones that they're so regularly said, mm. but also like they're in popular culture, but also like, 
a lot of um, catchphrases aren't really said a lot. Yeah. Like, if you know what I mean? Like, I guess uh, Spider-Man's one's like, Spy, Spidey sense tingling. Yeah. You, you probably would go through volumes and volumes of Spider-Man stuff and not hear or read him say that. I think it's probably just like a... Is it the yeah. kind of transition from that kind of Silver Age yeah. kind of model of comics where obviously, you know, Marvel's kind of, there were two ethos. It was like Marvel, you obviously had to have these recognizable characters, but you had to kind of have this expectation that every time, every comic you could pick up could be someone's first. Yeah. And it's a really good way to, I guess, establish characters is to boil them down to catchphrases. Because And then but as it's gone on, as these characters have become more fleshed out and have become more fleshed out the need for the catchphrases aren't necessarily there so it becomes more of like a you know this is the bit where the thing goes it's clobbering time yeah and it becomes like a yeah but then because i was it was reading a thing from oh no i was watching a video from alan moore and he was talking about the difference between like how you flesh out like from one dimensional two dimensional and three dimensional characters (laughs) yes i think i've seen that one i think that the catchphrase sort of side of thing fits into that kind of two-dimensional characters. It's about having these characters who have, you know, have some personality, but you can boil them down to something. Yeah. I, th- I think that the, the funniest thing from that, I remember just a weird tangent, but I think it is funny because he goes like, he talks about like DC, like old DC. So he's talking about forties and he's like, they're kind of like your dad's superheroes. Mm. You know, there's, there's the one where he's a plucky student and he's goes out and beats up crime. Right. Yeah. And then you go like the jet Kirby and uh, this is the initial wave and Stanley, uh, the whole thing where it's like, they added a new thing where they got like a little bit of angst, but it's like, you know, it's like two, basically from one dimension, two dimensional where they go from, uh, just going to go up crime. It's like, Oh yeah, but I've also got a bad knee or like, I can't <laughs> see very well or, you know, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. Um, yeah. I'm about to lose my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think also it's one of those ones where I think that fantastic Four, you probably nearly every issue or every few issues, they say their catchphrase, like probably a lot. Mm. Like I think probably what's his name? Um, uh, human torch right mm. you, i can imagine most times he goes yeah. flame on he says flame on and um i can imagine that often when they go into a fight he goes it's clobbering time quite a lot mm. you know what i mean it's um and it's and it's interesting on the catchphrase thing because i'm interested to know what your thoughts are but when there's the avengers assemble bit in avengers endgame yeah i think that's a really really weak moment because to me that sort of thing, the Avengers assemble is a war cry and not this kind of like Avengers assemble. It's like a proper like shouted out sort of thing. It's not this kind of little quiet line. Yeah. And that, that to me is, and again, it's that point in time. And I think how they did it made it feel more cliche and yeah. kind of out of, whereas I feel like if they'd had someone like wrought, like Captain America, like shouted or whatever. Yeah. Would I have think... made it kind of. Yeah. I know what you mean. For me a bit more. I think also for me, I saw Avengers Endgame. I didn't really like Avengers Endgame, but I saw Avengers Endgame. Um, I liked Infinity War a lot, but mm. I saw Avengers Endgame like shortly after I did my binge of what's it called? Lord of the Rings. Mm. And it is literally the whole like for Frodo yeah. sequence from that. It's exactly <laughs> the same. Cool. So um, to finish off issue five. SWAT teams and the army have arrived in Manhattan as the trio of heroes stand at the mouth of the pit. They're not sure what the creature was. At one point, Johnny suspected it might be Sue. Um, ben doesn't care and just wants to finish the job, so they decide to go down after the creature. 
as they descend oh actually one thing i did find was interesting is that you get the scene where obviously the thing gets shot at by the police oh yes and he just there's just a line he goes what's well, a hell of a way to find out you're bulletproof yeah <laughs> um, no i did love that too oh he's a great character isn't yeah he? oh, he's fantastic as he as they descend johnny's glowing body reveals unidentified war markings when they reach the apparent floor of the pit Johnny burns brighter for a bit of better look around, only to reveal that they are surrounded by Moloids. Oh yeah, hell yeah! And they're back. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, okay, so so we're now deep into Mole Man territory. <laughs> Reed, Ben, Johnny. Well, I guess and Johnny. And Johnny. We, we don't have uh, we <laughs> Sue don't have Sue yet. yet. She's she's still damsel in distress, I guess. Um, find themselves surrounded by Moloids. Mole Man is also like present, along with Sue Storm, um, who has been missing since the accident. Uh, Johnny flares up, or flames on, uh, <laughs> blinding Mole Man and his horde, while Sue runs to her three friends. Mole Man begins uh, to kind of welcome his former students to this world. I think, uh, again, kind of referencing the fact that I don't think they were too bad to him mm. during, during that age, his problems more with their dad. Uh, but Sue quickly uh, explains that he is a madman. Uh, he, he's he's jacked into the uh, Baxter building mainframe, um, hardwired into that mainframe, and has been watching them like kind of ever since uh, he got fired. Uh, Sue goes on to explain that she has been kidnapped, and he's obsessed with Reed and and her father, uh, Professor Storm. Uh, Reed suspects that that uh, Mole Man may have sabotaged the experiment. So it's kind of like left open there. Mm. Uh, Mole Man becomes enraged by Susan's be apparent betrayal um, and orders his his Moloids <laughs> to to dispose of all four of them. Thousands of, of little Mole Boys um, <laughs> uh, close in on them as Reed tries to uh, reason with Mole Man, but to no avail. The pounding of Ben Grimm's massive frame begins to, to begins this subterranean earthquake uh the floor opens up and mole man falls into the crevice uh reed tries to grab him but comes up short as mole man plummets downward with everything crumbling around them sue she gets taps into a one of her big powers which is the invisible bubble and kind of shields them and lifts them up to the surface into safety so i <laughs> I think it's one of those things where I, I guess this is also a little bit of a science hero sort of thing, right? Yeah. They don't actually really fight Mole Man. No. Like it's very much the kind of, you know, there's the, there's the, you know, he gets, goes, goes mad, tries to kill them all, but they don't engage with him. They don't really engage with him. And also I just think the fact like, I did really like, like how the scale of like the Moloid army. Yeah. Just because I feel it's a sort of thing of like, you know, there is thousands of them and they are these little, Goblins, kind of like, and it, but it's interesting because I don't, don't think we touched on it. I think the implication, obviously, is there was he talk, they talk about Mole Man using this kind of blood to form like this ancient DNA to form his kind of anti men and his moloids. Mm. I think the other implication is, and why he gets sacked from the Baxter building, is that he's trying to use like fungus, like fungal masses to like. And like essentially creating life or creating this kind of like humanoid fungal masses that can move. Mm. And I think that might also be part of the Mole Men 
Yeah. So I think, which again, is just creepy and kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, little moss friends. Um, <laughs> so back at the Baxter building, Susan and the others are reunited with her father, Professor Storm. Uh, Reed is confused, is, well, he's still confused, um, as to why this accident, like, transformed them happened. Um, as we learned just before, it could have been Mole Man or, mm. you know, it could have been uh, Victor Van Damme. Uh, basically, he concludes that they must find Victor Van Damme, potentially, at this point, as they don't know, uh, might be the final member of the team, in order to find the answers that they seek. I feel like, and again, I think the thing that comes up with, and I guess like the whole thing with Sue Storm using like the telekinetic bubble sort of set yeah. of things is in the same way they talk about the thing being like the very kind of like heart of the Fantastic Four, like the Invisible Woman, Invisible Woman has kind of grown into being considered like the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four. Mm. But I think it's interesting. And again, in that same sort of thing where I think, as it goes on, we'll see more and more and more of that. But I also think, again, it's for for where we start. It's that kind of, ah, uh, it's the damsel in distress. And then at the end of the day, she's the one who just saves them. Yeah. And I think that it's a weird one. Like, I think it's, yeah. I think it works, but it's that sort of thing you hope that it's not the strongest foundation point, whereas I feel the others kind of have a bit, little bit stronger that's fair enough. But I think, and it's weird because I, I would personally say that I find Sue and Ben the most interesting characters in the Fantastic Four. Interesting. I think for me, I think Reed is definitely, mm. I think, the most interesting. I think they're all pretty great apart from, I mean, like, uh, Johnny's kind of more comic relief. Um, he just has cool powers yeah. and is comic relief. But I think all of them are pretty interesting. I think Reed is probably my favourite just mm -hmm. because... You know, as we go into the ultimate stuff, I think the whole maker stuff is really cool. But also... Um, I mean, yeah, so I guess what is it? Do we want to get kind of... Exp Again, it's, I feel it's the weird thing, and it's actually one of those things. The weird thing of doing this podcast is, like, what's spoilers and what's not? Being like, oh, should we talk about this ahead of time or not? Yeah, <laughs> I guess... I guess. If, I, yeah. I, th I think we should, because at the end of the day, these yeah. comics are out there already. Yeah. So I think... So the idea eventually becomes that later on in the ultimate Marvel kind of continuity, Reed Richards kind of goes mad and becomes a villain and, and has consistently been a villain. The ultimate Reed Richards is one of the few ultimate Marvel characters who has kind of continued into the main Marvel universe, but as a villain. Mm. And I think it's one of those ones where I guess, do you feel like you see the kind of beginning of that here or do you see it, or is it more just to see, like, is it more just like, okay, I'm interested to see how this journey goes? I think that he, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think that there's that whole arrogance thing that, that him mm. with, because it's one of those things with like him and Dr. Doom, right? Yeah. There's not, I mean, at the beginning point, their personalities are kind of interesting. They both have those arrogance. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where I, I do really, I think Ree Richards, I think is the most interesting because there's that whole thing where he is very intelligent and he has, but he has just that, has though that kind of like that arrogance, the whole thing that we see, right? Mm. The problems that we have with Dr. Doom is kind of the same as has developed that he is quite um, socially distant, mm. right? He's also disliked. He's also, um, you know, he basically has an upbringing, I guess that goes back to that harsh mm. upbringing, but it kind of affects him in a different way that he gets a bit colder. So you can do, he's very intelligent. He can create these things, but he's also 
I could see that you could be quite emotionally distant or it could be less, um, yeah, ex- exactly like less like emotionally kind of in touch with what he's mm. doing and how that will affect people. That I think that he is a character that that could be quite fascinating. Um, I think Sue Storm and I love Sue Storm and I love yeah. the thing as we were talking about, we had that big conversation about him that I think that they are all, I think they kind of all are like really cool characters mm. in their own right. Apart from maybe like Johnny, I think is probably the weakest, well, but that's not a bad thing. And I it, used to and, love him as a kid. And it is interesting because I think as the ultimate line progresses, there's a point where where they all kind of the Fantastic Four itself kind of splits up. And I think, so yeah, the Reed gets set on the path that leads him to become the maker. And then really strangely, there is the ultimate universe version of Kang, the Kang the Conqueror. Oh, really? Is Sue Storm. Oh, it's. I that's, think it, that's cool. it's obviously it's a time. It's Kang, so it's time travel. She's so smart in her own right as well. Yes, it's, yeah. it's a time travel story, right? So it is like a future version of her. Mm. And then Ben Grimm, what I find really interesting, is he kind of becomes the ultimate version of Wonder Man, where eventually the the orange rock essentially falls away, and there is this like giant, like there's you know this kind of bright, kind of purple and red kind of energy being underneath oh. it, which again. Is gonna be. I, I haven't because that's saying I haven't. I've only seen these kind of things. I haven't read them, so I'm really fast. I'm really looking forward Could to when we actually get yeah. into them. Whereas I feel like when we say Johnny feels like kind of the more kind of he's almost the safest one of them all. And I feel like there's a, and maybe it's harder to take him in a direction that pe- would be engaging like that. He's a fun like he's one of those, but that's okay. It's mm. one of these ones where a lot of people are very dismissive of like. Um, kind of comic relief characters. Yeah. I think if comic relief characters are done badly, they're, they're not great. Mm. But I think, um, like, as a kid, I my favourite is Johnny. Yeah. As a kid, genuinely, I've grown up and I'm, he's my least favourite. But as a kid, re-watching the cartoon, watching the movies, he's funny. He goes on fire and says funny things, right? And I guess I he's also... Okay. And I guess it's the sort of thing, like, when it, we, I guess when we're talking about these kind of superhero cartoons and how they're angled and who they're angled at, right? Johnny's the stand. Johnny's the kind of point of view character. Like most saying yeah, with Young true. Justice, if studio ex- or the kind of these TV executives are saying, or these film showrunners are going, well, we think young boys are going to be mm. the the target audience or our target market with this. Okay, well, Johnny Storm becomes the point of view character in a lot of ways he becomes the character that you kind of connect with and go even at a base level to go I like this character like this yeah. is the one and you know he's into cars and that sort of side of thing whereas and that's not to say that others aren't interesting because I think personally I think they're more interesting but I think at that basic level of connection when you're trying to I guess pitch a show or pitch an idea having that kind of point of view character is there yeah, and also I think grounds it because I think mm. the other ones are quite um, supernatural, right? Yeah. That I think that they he's probably the most relatable mm. to all of them. I also like the whole thing that's a rare thing in comic books where like uh, something I always thought since I was a kid that it's rare that a hero or, or anyone in comic books have siblings. Mm. Um, it's true. They're often only children, it, which is a strange thing, you know. You can. It's hard to think yeah, of. Actually, yeah, yeah. It's something I thought of, and while most people aren't only children, and I think that I like how central to this there are they <sighs> are siblings, and I think that it works with the whole family thing. So I always mm. actually think that's more relatable. But he is the most relatable 
in the way that he isn't an ultra smart, um, you know, scientist. His sister is also a very smart scientist in her own right as well. Mm. Um, and I think it's one of the things which which disconnects me from um, Spider-Man as a kid. I kind of was more into Terry McGuinness. I thought Terry McGuinness was mm. Batman Beyond, young, um, not too smart. Smart is like average intelligence. I think yeah. it's the same with Johnny that like, he's not, he's kind of the most entrance level. He's not a rock thing or he's not this, he's someone yeah. who's like people could relate it's, to more. It's the sort of thing of like where, whereas the thing is also theoretically could feel that every man kind of like connection. Oh, point true, role, yeah. But then he's the one who has the most visually distinctive mm. kind of power in a way that then probably takes him out of that. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, final thoughts. So us talking through it, what what you said that it's the weakest. I even even now I feel like <laughs> I feel like even our discussion. I think yes, I'd probably say mm. it is, but I also think part of that comes down to while I like the mole leads and mole man yeah. as things, I think I'd probably say this in Ultimate Spider Man at a similar kind of level. Yeah, and Ult Ultimate X Men is definitely by far my favorite so far. I'm I'd be interesting to see how covering Ultimates. Um, if that changes that perspective, but what I find, what I do think is the most interesting with this is, I guess, Ultimate Spider-Man, I just like the Green Goblin as a kind of character a little bit more. And I think yeah. I like that. And I think, again, maybe because I know a little bit more about how those stories come up. Cause I think, you know, the first Ultimate Spider-Man book I read was, you know, 13, 14 volumes in, and there's a Green Goblin story there that kind of I remember vaguely in the yeah. same way that I didn't. But but in the, by the same interest, the first Ultimate Fantastic Four was the Marvel Zombies Fantastic Four crossover. Oh, yes. And yes. that is really that. good. Yeah, because that's all Mark Miller as well. Yeah. It's one of these things where, um, yeah, I think that, that is interesting. It's a good point with the villains because I, I liked it, I think, more you than you. And I think that goes mm. into the mileage will vary on the characters. Yeah. So here I'm a big fan of, Fantastic Four. I think that, you know, you've got to love Mole Man and his Moloids. Um, but it's one of those things where I prefer him as someone who who's a fan of that stuff than, than Green Goblin. Yeah. I think they're both characters that could be one-dimensional yeah. but have an interesting legacy mm. um, that I think they they tap into decently well. I think that it is... I'm, I like it more than Spider-Man just because of that. But I think, yeah, I think my criticisms that I have against Spider-Man are mostly leveled at here, but I liked it more. Mm. And I think, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where it's a slight bias. And, and I do think it would be interesting to see, in, like, as we go through, just like, you know, like I said, if we then start picking up on the subtle Millerisms or the subtle mm. Bendis kind of aspects, to, I think that'll be the interesting thing to see is like where... Like, because we're going to, you know, there's like, how many issues? There's like 100 issues of Ultimate X-Men. There's like 70 of Ultimate Fantastic Four, 140 Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, how how well we're going to be able to pick up on some of those mannerisms, some of those writing styles yeah. as we go. I think, uh, yeah, 100%. I think that that will be interesting. Um, yeah, I think for me, definitely Ultimate X-Men is my favorite. Mm -hmm. I think that you... I think I agree with you with that one by far. I think that Ultimate X-Men Volume 1 is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that this one, I think this one like, yeah, is above Ultimate Spider-Man. But yeah, I think it's 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 okay. It's yeah. good. Good. I'd say it's a, yeah, good. Yeah, it's just, just good comics. Like, it's I think a good fun time. Yeah, it's a good, good comic with, book to read. With Moloids, you know? <laughs>
and yeah, with Mo right. God, I I really hope that Mole Mo Man comes oh, up Mo, something, yeah, somewhere in the MCU. Oh, are she talking about villains? Is Kang also is it Kang? Kang's Kang's a Fantastic Four yeah, villain. See, like so much, it's like it's very it's very cool, very underrated. Because I think how he gets introduced is initially he, the he's again in the weird science sort of thing. They like time travel back, and he's this kind of time traveler who's pretending mm. to be a pharaoh. Yeah, and they fight him then, and yeah, like I think that's, it's just weird. But again, it's that sort of thing of science hero stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Anyway, no, thank you everybody for listening to this episode today. Um, our next episode, our next two episodes, we'll be looking at the first two volumes of Ultimates. Um, we're looking at that, we're doing the two volumes because Ultimates 1 and 2 are standal- essentially kind of standalone seri- mini-series. Where, so they're obviously fit within this kind of Ultimate Universe kind of framework, but uh, have these kind of set kind of runs of 12 issues. Mm. So I think yeah. So we will we will be covering them the first two volumes of Ultimates back to back, and then should we'll... we or should we do one and then two? Because one is kind of one's the Hulk, mm. and then two is the Shatari. Yeah, which is kind of the Secret Invasion type storyline. I think they, there's a lot of meat in both of those. I guess we. I guess what we might see is we'll, we'll definitely do the we'll first. Out, we'll do yeah. the first volume, and then we'll either come back around and do the second volume of everything, and then Ultimates two at the end of that, or we could just. We could put that down down the track in a couple of months' time or something. Mm. But but yeah, no, thank you all for listening. Um, yeah, check us out wherever you can find your podcasts. Um, and we're still working on our social media. It's 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 taking time. <laughs> yeah, watch out for moloids. Watch out for moloids. All right, thank you very much, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.